0: Blake Murphy is here, which always brings me joy. Uh, I got so many things to pack in today. Ray Bork, coming up later on the show. I was just telling Blake during the break some of my favorite Ray Bork stats that I was finding last night. And I'm going to say Bork is one of the – he's one of the guests that I ended up prepping the most for, but just simply because – Every stat that he has leads you down a different wormhole where you would be like, what? And then you have to read, like, five more minutes and research ten more minutes as to how the hell this happened. Like, I, I, could, I could almost legitimately now turn this entire show into things about Ray Bork that are insane. Ray
1: Bork appreciation.
0: It's wild. I actually think there's a case after doing this exercise that he's the most underrated athlete in North American sports, let's say, I don't want to say on earth because someone's going to hit me with some like triathlete somewhere. I'm going to be like, okay, I guess I never heard of that person. You're right. Internet, fine. But yeah, North American sports wise, I, I got to put him up there, especially given that he played in Boston, where it's like, Blake, you made a really great point about how, you know, Bobby Orr probably steals a little shine because he is a Boston yeah, guy. Yeah,
2: you're not even the best defenseman in your own franchise yeah. history. But somehow. normally,
0: it's like all Boston athletes get overrated. Yeah. It's like all of them, every one of them he has 500 more career points than Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> like, and it's like Bergeron is obviously walking the Hall of Fame. He's forward. But yeah, anyway, it just should be mentioned. Um, My favorite Ray Borks that if he's being
2: truthful that he changed his skate laces mm-hmm. at every intermission, we're talking
0: 5,500
2: career pairs of skate laces. Hmm. That's how many games he played. <laughs>
0: Man, yeah, it's just, it is insane. Like, playing, anyway, I can't go down this rabbit hole right now because it'll just end up being the whole show. I'll probably do a couple of stats off of um, the interview with him later. All I'll say, the reason why I bring this up is because even on a day where I was just supposed to make it about Ray Bork, another former Boston athlete came in and stole his shine. (laughs) (laughs) This day was supposed to be about Ray Bork.
2: Another guy who just stuck around forever.
0: Yeah, and instead, it's like Tom Brady's like, how long did you play? Well,
2: <laughs> oh, retired at forty-one. Yeah, that's cute.
0: Yeah, forty-one, <laughs> eh? All right, all right. Roll the Tom Brady clip. I, I I get off the train this morning, and the boys send me this. Good morning, guys. He's on a beach. Uh, I'll
2: get to the point right away. I'm retiring right away. Mm-hmm. for good. Thank you for the. I know the process
3: uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I just press record and let you guys know first. So I won't be long-winded.
2: Like you only get one super emotional retirement essay and I used mine up last year, so. Correct. uh, Really, thank you guys so much to every single one of you Hmm.
1: for supporting me. My family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on
2: forever, there's too many. Um, Thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute
0: dream. I wouldn't change. Okay, maybe you would change coming back this last season <laughs> and, like, going out this way. I got to tell you, there's a couple quick things off this. I don't want to do Brady for a long time. Maybe I'll do a little bit tomorrow. Number one is just simply, I am actually surprised by this. This I, I was, I was surprised that I was surprised that I was right. looking at it and my range of emotions of this. I went, for real? Okay. And then step two was, this actually makes me feel a little bit Robbed. I I know that this is not the way sports go and that always we end up with like, you know, Michael Jordan on the Wizards and even with Kobe's final game that was so special. It's like, yeah, the rest of the year, though, was pretty bad when he was taking a million shots and looking horrible. Um, You don't normally get the walk away cool season like Ray Bork, right? (laughs) Like that's rare. The Ray Bork situation is rare, but. This year with Tampa wasn't even, like, a disaster. It was just bad, and it Mm -hmm. was so unsatisfying. I don't know. It just feels like he has a little bit more to give in a better situation, and we don't get it. And the Dolphins scenario looked so appealing to me. Potentially the Niners scenario looked so appealing to me. There were these two landing spots where we got to really see, like, hey, maybe Brady invigorated one more time. We get it taken away. It just kind of stinks. Anyway, uh, congrats to Tom on a great career. But he's right. We already did this. And him shoehorning it into right before media week with the super bowl. It's like, yeah, he's like, Oh, I just off the cuff here at the beach. It's like, no, we know what was going on. Like you were never going to announce it on it's go time or whatever. That horrible podcast. Imagine listening to that Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald podcast. You gotta be out of your mind. Okay. You gotta be <laughs> out of your mind. I, sometimes I think about who listens to this podcast when there are such a plethora of options out there. It's easy to get inferiority complex, I don't feel that way with Tom Brady's podcast at all. I've listened to it for 10 seconds. So I was like,
2: yeah. Also, why did why did he do this on a beach that looks like he's like at the Grand River
0: in Kitchener, Ontario? Like, <laughs> because you know what? That's probably his beach. Like that is his. There's no one, there's not a soul out there. Not a nice morning. No. But he was emotional. Yeah, I thought yeah. you would appreciate that, the emo vibe that it had. No, because he's done yeah. this a bunch of times. No, it's like <laughs> like this
2: is the thing with being an adult emo, yeah. is when you still get emo about stuff, you're like, oh uh, yeah, 25 years into being uh-huh. an emo, uh, I'm the problem. Do get, I, I'm doing
1: this. Yeah,
0: it's true. That's true. That is a tough look of, of that. So are you guys a hundred percent convinced that he's no. done?
1: Oh, I am. Yeah. I think he's P- done for Pete's sure. He's on team hundred percent. I think a- this year was fully just make sure I know, you know,
2: see, I think if, if he's that sure about it, then this year was about make sure no one can ever catch my career total mm-hmm. records.
0: If he Because yeah, he's no, at like ninety
2: thousand career passing yards now and yeah. no one's good point. Like Drew Brees is the only guy within eighteen thousand yards of him.
0: Yeah. The only thing I would say is if the league keeps going this way. It's gonna be so hard. People underestimate like, how many years he like they, they think that, that everyone's going to play that long now.
2: Yeah, and and the league has gone that way, but he just tacked on two extra seasons in the passing era yeah. where nobody threw for yep. more yards. Like, he yep. threw for 10,000 yards over the last two years. Yeah, it's insane. Even though he wasn't, like, particular. Well, last year he was pretty good. This year he was very underwhelming and was still like, oh, here's 4,700 mm-hmm. more yards. Um I, yeah, I think if you run this back and he has the ability to see how the next couple of years are going to go, he goes out after 2020. He wins the Super Bowl in another spot and walks away.
0: Yeah. I liked I liked this stat when I saw it today. It was like when the last NFL season without Tom Brady, my Seahawks were in the AFC. <laughs> <laughs> that that hit me in the chest. I went, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it's a, a staple in my life, right? Like when Tom Brady go, like now if Tom Brady's really gone, and then next up is LeBron for me, where it's just Oof. no. My basically my whole, because even when I was in junior high, LeBron was on the cover of SI with mm-hmm. Se- Sebastian Telfair. Like my whole adult sporting life has had LeBron. When he's gone, I won't really know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I'll be same thing with Tom Brady, where he's gone, I'm like. I, and I felt this way when Kobe retired, which was – I was very sad when Kobe retired because I, I knew that I would never hate a player the way that I hated Kobe Bryant ever again. Like, rooted against him, like, that was done. There was a part of me that was over. If you remember, there was a famous commercial that Kobe Bryant, I hate you, I hate you, and it was all the people, you know, yeah. booing him. And I went, Kobe Bryant made me feel something that I'll never feel again. And I think that there's something similar about that with Tom Brady where I just – I'm never going to feel – That way about Patrick Mahomes because he wasn't there during formative years. Had uh, you know my first kiss with my high school girlfriend during a Tom Brady Super Bowl. Wow, no big deal. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Might have hooked up during halftime. Yeah, good for you. That's right. So Tom Brady is the walk to remember of athletes. Yeah, Tom Brady. That's my guy for that reason alone.
2: Uh, Tom Brady in the NFL almost as long as my Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so that's enough Tom Brady talk. Maybe we'll do a little bit more tomorrow when I've had some more time to sit with it. But that was just the initial gut reaction. Um, before we do Raptors with Blake, I got to talk about Chad Green, all right? Chad Green is, I have an irrational amount of confidence in him. I was looking at his numbers. They're good, right? He had a really good year a couple of seasons ago. But he was always the Yankees pitcher that when he would come in, and i I, I Curious, Blake, if you do have his splits, I probably should have done this, but it felt like he was not only a Blue Jays killer, but whenever I'd be watching Yankees games, because I bet on a lot of baseball in summer, right, and I end up watching my fair share, and the Yankees bullpen, when it was, like, stacked, remember? When we all thought, hey, the Yankees bullpen is untouchable. Chad Green was always the guy that I actually had the most respect for. Straight up. Like, I'm not just saying this. I just, there are some guys that you have an incredible amount of confidence in that you think are big game pitchers, that come in with that cool hand and that unshakable demeanor. And Chad green was always one of those guys. He's a guy that wouldn't necessarily only give you one inning. I always thought like he could go two. he could go two, and he just felt like the shutdown guy in the middle of ball games. And I know that he had the TJ and it's probably, I would say a stretch even at this point to consider him showing up this season based on everything that I read. Um, so basically, it's a one-year deal for $8.5 million next year, next season. So hard to get overly excited. There is a little bit of Kirby Yates to this where I went, oh, awesome name, right, arm. You need an arm to throw. <laughs> like that. But I just, if this does work out, very much like the Kirby Yates trade, I love the price of acquisition, and I am way, 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 way more confident about him than I was Kirby Yates. Like, I'm a big, big, big Chad Green believer and he is actually like in a sport that everything is quantifiable down to, you know, the millimeter. He's actually a guy where I feel like there's an intangible factor to him that it adds to his value. I think there. <clears throat> excuse me. So okay. um, I talked for the whole show. First of all, yeah. you are uh, correct
2: in that he has been a Jays killer uh, over the years. He's made 37 appearances against the Jays. The Jays have a 527 OPS against him.
0: No, that's not good.
2: Hit below two hundred, slug three hundred. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chad Green. The Jays G- <laughs> are very bad. Against Chad Honestly, Green. this
0: might be valuable just to not just to keep him away <laughs> from away another from team. Other... Yeah. yeah. Uh, to <laughs> like, me, the, the most interesting eight point five million. You can't pitch against the Jays. Uh,
2: to me, the most interesting thing here was just the front office strategy of like obviously at this point they're cool with the depth of the bullpen, mm-hmm. especially when you consider that like none of these guys have options for the most part, like Simbers, the only guy. (laughs) I thought you were going to say velocity.
0: I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, velocity also, (laughs) but they're
2: looking at Chad green. Chad green's not a day one guy, right? He's a, Hey, mid season, late season. He could add something to the back end of your bullpen. And even if this year, you know, you mentioned, you don't know if he's in the mix this year, he had TJ in May. Mm -hmm. So like, he can probably get back by the end of this year. Um, but even if he's like a sixth, seventh inning guy get his feet wet this year, then you have a back-end guy the year after. This to me is a recognition that the depth is okay in the bullpen, but they need more back-end swing and miss stuff. And in that sense, I like I like adding that and I like going out and spending it with a, a little bit of risk um to address that early. Now to get ahead of it, we will not be doing the, well, Chad Green's basically a trade deadline acquisition. Uh, uh, no, because, you know, people already have that talking point ready. Uh, no, we,
0: you will want. Help that's me. Apologist 101, by the way. It, if someone, it's going if, to happen. If someone does that, then you can circle them in the Apologist yeah. category. Like you can put them in that category. All but right. This that's
2: is an- a guy like he would lead the Jays in swing and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, he would lead the Jays' not last year but historically he would be the Jays' best strikeout guy. Mm-hmm. Um has a little trouble keeping the ball in the yard, but the new dimensions project to be a little negative on home runs anyway, so maybe mm-hmm. he has a little bit of, you know, going from Yankee Stadium to a Rogers Centre that doesn't play that well to um to power in the deep parts of the park. Like I I I think it makes all the sense in the world. This is a guy that, yeah, if he was even coming off Tommy John, Fangraphs had him as a top forty free agent this offseason. Mm-hmm. That's the level of confidence in. Hey, no reliever is reliable, but Chad Green's done it
0: six years in a row. This feels like an outrageous thing to say, but it's genuinely my favorite move of the offseason. <laughs> I know. I I'm just a, actually a I, guy who might not try up until twenty twenty three. But but, it, but that's why this is the this is the negative part of this take is. It was a reminder that the Jays really didn't address something that has needed addressing for a couple of seasons now, which is go and get swing and miss. And then it burned them in the postseason this year. Mm -hmm. And they went, yeah, okay. everyone watched it and went, all right, like you got away with it during the regular season, but you desperately need a swing and miss guy in the back of the bullpen who comes out and punches people out. Yes, it's great. Then they make a trade for a guy that's not that using an all-star outfielder who would look perfect on this team right now i gotta Mm -hmm. tell you like if he was on the team i think that the jays are perfect they're literally me holding the signs and Walk to Remember is yeah. a reference for Pete who loves that movie and me holding <laughs> the sign up to the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays. To me, you are perfect. Had Isn't you had to- that, Love actually, that, is that Love Actually? What I say it was? Walk to Remember. Because I said a Walk said to Remember earlier. <laughs> you inceptioned me. Yeah. You're mixing up your formative <laughs> ah, hookup movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> yeah. there was no telescope involved. All right? It was yeah. just a... By the way, I've said this before. This, I've already used this take, but in that Christmas movie... Love Actually? Yes. I think that Rick from The Walking Dead... Who, guy? who? Oh, he's literally the number one villain in all of movie history. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Like, going to your best friend's house Terrible. and holding up secret signs so that his wife... Tell them it's careless. Dude, yeah. every fight they ever get in for their whole life, she'd be like, Rick from The Walking Dead would appreciate me a little bit better. You know, like, he's in her head forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, that guy is a POS. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you cannot have that guy. So, anyway, Rick from Walking Dead, in Love Actually, world's greatest villain, Chad Green... Love it. But also World's
2: Greatest Relief. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: But a reminder of what the Jays are still missing. And I really don't care about all the articles that get written this year about how steady the Jays bullpen is and how many guys they have that do the similar thing. And you know there's gonna be like the Jays wonky bullpen, but it works because they're gonna get to the postseason. And if Chad Green's not there and they don't address it through a trade come deadline or at some point in this season. I'm always going to be shaking in my boots like what was that pitcher's name that was supposed to shake in his boots that Ryan Merritt like Ryan Merritt about the Jays in a big spot come playoff time where they absolutely need an out and they do not want to put the ball in play
2: the, what they are going to tell you or I don't know they Personally, won't tell you come to me no Who? Ross? They'll talk to Blair and (laughs) Barker. They're not going to talk to me and you. I'll
0: listen to the Blair and Barker podcast,
2: subscribe and review. Yeah, Jays talk minus in their minds. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, No, what they'll say is like, What they've shown us the last couple off seasons is that they believe you can add relief pitching fairly inexpensively in season. And that the most important thing heading into spring training is that you have a lot of depth in the bullpen to withstand injuries and someone dropping off or whatever, which is true. But let's not do the thing like last year where in early June, we're screaming, you need Swing and miss stuff in the bullpen. And then it's like, well, we can wait to the deadline. We can wait to the deadline. And then it just doesn't come. It's like they add good relievers, but not with that that particular skill set. So yeah, well, I'm I'm not letting anyone like the best thing you can do as a friend this year, if you have friends you watch Blue Jays game with, don't mm-hmm. let anyone talk themselves into Trevor Richards again. Like Chris no. Black, I'm sorry. He does like, that still? Wor- he's got well, the worst he did, takes. He did at, at some point last year yeah. when he had like seven or eight good games in a row. Like, yeah. don't friends don't let friends talk each other into Trevor Richards as a, as a big spot reliever.
0: The thing about Chris is that he actually has incredible takes and he yeah, does great analytical breakdowns. Smart. Oh, yeah. But he loves himself so much. Like, he's aware. Like, he's like a hot girl who's like aware. He's he's aware that he's smart and he knows that he's good at these baseball breakdowns. So then he can never trust anything else but himself. So he's like, once he gets stuck on a take, he can never move off of it because he's like so self-obsessed that he's like, how could I ever be wrong? I'll just so attends- double, triple, quadruple down on this horrible take for the rest of his life.
2: A 10 is supposed to think they're a 7.
0: Yeah, exactly. Show a little bit of modesty. Can't. So trapped. Um, tons of pressure on Eric Swanson. All of a sudden, T- tons
2: of pressure on Chris Black. That <laughs> yeah. next thread is just going to be like, all the times
0: Blake and JD were yeah, wrong. You know. Hey, g- listen, here's the thing, though. That's kind of my thing being wrong like it's a 50 50 shot either I'm the most right like I was about the Raptors Mm -hmm. or the most wrong Like you were about the Raptors at the last deadline. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Exactly. As Uh,
2: someone who is currently writing this year's edition mm -hmm. of All Your Trade Ideas Are Bad. Where did
0: I rank in terms of trades you like the most? uh, Uh, I haven't
2: gone through all of them yet. I've gone through. How many did you take? I mean, I got like Like hundreds on Twitter. I got a. Oh, the hardest part of this is to sort through them all and find the ones that are like worth writing about. Okay. This is the hardest part. It's like, I got to go back through old DMs. I got some people emailing me. Oh, because I was going like, to submit
0: like four. And then I went, oh, you know, I don't want no, to. No, because you,
2: Will, and Grange will get like the, the top of the article where it's like, okay. Who one out be- of
0: the, us three?
2: Um, I liked Grange's the least.
0: Yeah, clearly.
2: You <laughs> will had. A good one that I've got to hit him with the ooh poison pill provision. Will oh, you did that,
0: eh? You know what though? You saved me from because again, I was gonna send you a whole bunch of them, and still to this day, my favorite one. Involves the Mavericks getting Fred just because I want to see Luca with a good player. Beside be a him. Fit, yeah. yeah. The two of them just are such good fits. But then yeah, Dallas not owning their own pick was something that Blake yeah. made me aware of. And Did it you see re- that
2: spreadsheet that I tweeted out the other day, by the way. You should
0: bookmark no, it for the next week or just so. Always yeah. send me those things. Like yeah. those things I just I, I
2: put together all the picks that every team owns wow. and owes and then all their contracts broken into three uh, like rookie deals that deals expiring. Deals. Yeah, see so that you can quickly see the snapshot of like, oh, I want to deal with Memphis This is what
0: it looks like. I actually tried to put alerts on a lot of my colleagues so that I could stay in tune with all their work and then I realized that it was like, bing, 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 because everybody God. tweets all the time. And actually, Blake was the biggest criminal offender, and so many of his are just like, here's a f- little quip. And I'm like, no, no. Like, goodbye, alert." You don't want to know yeah, that the Raptors like, 905 cut this no, on, Gravit. No, it? No, you did not reply to my re- response the other day about this. I, you know, I, I said, no way to that, <laughs> <laughs> to that 905. Anyway, I do want to talk about Raptors with you. That's why you're here today. Um, let's take a quick break. Let's reset. And then, yeah, um, how much pressure is on you, Jiri? And how many guys go? That's next with Blake Murphy in studio. Sportsnet 590. The fan. Blake literally giving me a tutorial on cap stuff during the break. I had to interrupt him. <laughs> so he'd be like, Hey, got to do the show now, Blake, um, subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. If you're a listener, um, It's going to be a lot of Raptor stuff. I actually have Rick Bucher on today who has had some reports on the Raps, longtime NBA insider uh, with Fox Sports. He'll jump on at around 1030 or in the podcast in the second hour to share some of his latest intel on the Raps. But here's here's what has troubled me, Blake. Um, The Raptors are an incredibly tight ship when it comes to letting things leak and it feels like they've been trying to patch some of that stuff. Like OG speaking to Grange going, no, like I I'm cool. I'm not, I can't control it, but it's everything's fine. And then every other insider going, yeah, OG's not happy and he hasn't been happy for a while. And you know, your friend, Jake Fisher was on with me last week talking about actually OG's agents were kind of sniffing around it pretty hard last year. And yeah, um, I think it's pretty clear now that when you piece everything together, whether it's been CJ McCollum talking about the Raptors, whether it's been, I would say every NBA insider now, save for maybe one or two that have talked about the Raptors room being kind of dysfunctional, that that's a bit of a shocking turn for people who observe this team. I guess like, what is your level of concern with this? Because it really doesn't feel like it's one guy. It feels like it's a it's a it's a group.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation right now, and I'm going to share a story from back after the championship season that I mm-hmm. hope highlights why this stuff comes out now and why it feels this way. So 2019-2020, the running back year, Jovan Buha of The Athletic, mm-hmm. he was covering the Clippers at the time, he now covers the Lakers. He writes this big thing midway through the season about all the complexities and difficulties of the Clippers bringing Kawhi in and making him happy. Kawhi, you you know, you build the shoot-around schedule around him. He has his own training room off to the side. Jeremy Castleberry's on the staff, all that stuff. And I'm on a road trip with the Raptors and talk to a player, and that player was like, yeah, we dealt with all this stuff too, but we were winning, so everyone, like, kept it Mm in-house. And you look back at what the last couple years have been, and we've known... You know, Nick Nurse wrote about it in his book that OG's been frustrated with his role at times back to the championship season, where OG's sophomore season. We've known that Pascal and Nick had the big blow-up that they had in the Tampa Tank season. But what's been different, and we know that Kyle Lowry is Kyle Lowry, right? Like, Kyle Lowry's a walking, hey, is practice going to get shut down today (laughs) because Kyle doesn't want to practice or he Mm -hmm. wants to sit in the middle of the floor? The difference is in terms of how much that stuff... Snowballs and how much that stuff leaks is it's not as simple as look at the record, but it's kind of as simple as look at the record. Like, yeah, these things last year about well, what is Scotty Barnes's role and what's it going to grow into? OG OB wants more touches, and those are there when Pascal's out, but then Pascal comes back and they're not there. Those things were there last year, too, those little bits of friction, but the team was winning and they won 48 games last year so everyone can kind of suck it up right if if me and you and Pete are all unhappy but we keep getting five star reviews and we're at the top of the podcast charts we can all suck that up if suddenly every review is one star and you know you're getting your time slots getting bumped or cut or whatever like those frictions will probably play out a little bit more because you don't see the end goal and you don't see the reason that every individual is sacrificing so this team the Tampa Tank there were those frictions at the start of the year. And then once the team was, like, clear what mm-hmm. that year was about, everyone could kind of just, like, relax and focus on their own stuff and not worry about his one-year thing. But this is a year where this team expect to be a playoff team. Fred and Gary have contracts to worry about. OG has, you know, a potential extension to worry about. Pascal has, if like... The Raptors being bad this year stands to cost Pascal a ton of money because he'll, if he doesn't make all NBA, he won't be super max eligible this offseason.
0: Well, plus he looks completely worn out. He is. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he, he's, yeah. He needs the All Star break. And I actually wouldn't be shocked at this point if. Uh, he ends up being a guy who uses the All Star break to have a f- fake injury. Like I wonder how or much or like
2: plays five minutes of yeah, exa- game yeah, something, or something along like those that.
0: lines. By the way, Pete, if you're unhappy and you voice that displeasure to the media, like I'll kill you. So, oh, yeah, well, no, this is
2: why I brought yeah. it up because yeah. he was talking to me before uh, before the show. He Dude, he was like, Pete hey, actually man,
0: can't die because if... I've threatened to kill him so many times on the show that he's it's Kenny. like he's no, he's the number one guy who I need to live. I think
2: sometimes mm. on air too, possibly. Yeah. yeah well, so. just now. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> you know this is.
2: live right yeah um anyway so (laughs) these things exist in most locker rooms and there are always Mm. the frictions about roles and contracts and stuff when you are winning yeah it's easy for guys to bite their tongue okay when things are going poorly as they are or when it's say year three of these same issues with the same coaching staff and the same pieces it, you can lose your faith that it's going to get better, right? Yeah, like, if, that's if, where I'm going with this. Yeah, it's like, like, I OG, understand that. I, I don't believe that like the OG Nick stuff is as bad as it seems, and part of that is like the Raptors don't let that stuff leak very often, so when it does leak, everyone. Blows their top, quarters Like I don't think Nuggets Twitter is having an absolute meltdown about Bones Highland wanting a larger role mm. because, first of all, there are like seven people on Nuggets Twitter, and yeah. second, it's like it's the you almost for one of them. Yeah, yeah, Was very close. That's private information. Yeah. Um, yeah well,
0: yes, yeah, so I didn't say how.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> me and me and Bones and Jamal Murray uh, yeah. doing a Kitchener Kitchener trip for the offseason. Uh, hold, let me just
0: interrupt yeah. here for a second, though. Okay, I think everybody understands that. If you're on a bad team, the vibes can go poor quickly, especially when you have scenarios like the Raptors have. The difference is, though, is that one of the things that we've become accustomed to is that the Raptors culture has been great yeah, and that it has been different from other places. And this has been a necessity because Toronto plays in Canada. And Mm -hmm. as much as people don't want to acknowledge that right now outside, it's minus 13 or whatever the hell. Hey, guess what? Like, guys don't like that. Nobody's really loving that. And yes, it's an awesome summer city, but it can be not so hot for a lot of different months. The the border thing, like, there's tons of different things. And this front
2: office has operated, like, Masai would not say this. He would say the believe in yourself, believe in your city stuff. This team has at every turn opted to be an above cap team because they know that salary cap space doesn't do quite as like, yeah, they got the meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge. They've had cap space once in 10 years of this front office operating.
0: Exactly. And so my point here is simply like a couple of years ago we were talking about, in fact, even last year, we've had this kind of thing about how the Raptors are Spurs East, right? Where They've got a real strong top-down leadership. There's not a lot of public dissent amongst the ranks. And that Nick Nurse was going to be new Popovich, which is something, you know, David Thorpe has said over and over and over again. And now it it does feel like this is is worse than just like a couple of guys who are unhappy because of contract things. Like this does kind of feel like at this point, if you start moving off of OG, right, you're you're getting picks, back. You start moving off Gary Trent. You start. This is just starting to feel way more like a full tear than a like quick thing on the fly, so, which seems like it's been presented. I want to touch the
2: culture side before yeah. because I agree that OG, because of his age and contract status and his plug and playability in any lineup, like the OG thing, if that domino falls you have to be looking further into the future, right? Like if you you intend on being competitive next year, there's not an OGN and OB trade that makes you better next year. It's all about longer into the future and the pick equity you can get back. Um, The culture point though, I, I do think we're seeing this at multiple levels too. We've seen a handful of really, good, well-liked, development-oriented coaches leave the last couple of years. And that's that's part of the brain drain of having a, a good system, mm-hmm. having a, an organization that produces good talent and has good results. You're going to lose Jesse Mermis and John Malalela and Patrick Batumbo because places are going to want to give those guys their next step up in their career. But it's hard to keep restocking that pipeline. We've seen it developmentally that part of the culture has been, well, you Everyone buys in and is on board with the developmental plan and never complains about the 905 and never complains about not getting minutes because look at what it did for Fred and Pascal and Boucher. Those examples are there. Those examples have dried up. They haven't hit on any of those. Like we were joking before the show and over text the other night that like the Raptors bench got their teeth kicked in by a bunch of Raptors 905 castoffs the other night who are playing meaningful minutes on a Suns team that's better than this Raptors team that has an impact as well. And now like it's part of this is also just like timeline and the money aspect of it is yeah. The cultural aspect. There was a time this year where I think if it wasn't for Fred Van Bleep being, and I know people have issues with Fred and his up and down on court performance. There was a time early this year where if they didn't have Fred as a leader, I think maybe that locker room fractures or, or maybe that that locker room is lost. You have that, but now, like, this is messing up guys' money. Mm -hmm. And this is year six of asking OG to sacrifice a little bit of role. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have more role in him than this at an efficient level, but he thinks he does. So, again, asking him to make those sacrifices and stuff, it just, it kind of cascades year to year that those little frustrations build and build. And it doesn't feel... Culturally or results wise that everything is pushing in the right direction right now, because this has happened twice in the last three years now. And there hasn't been that forward progression as a core. So I'm I'm with you. I think it's uh, I think it's a tough spot. I think it's not all that surprising that we're now seeing Shams throw Nick Nurse's name mm-hmm. into his rumor stuff nick nurse who's also a clutch client by the way with half the raptors roster now if the reports about fred going there are true um it's it's something that they're gonna have to take a really long look at this offseason and i am closer to agreeing with david thorpe than disagreeing with him that i think nick nurse is a really good coach and could be like a long-term piece in a situation but also like That's a guy who signed up and got hired to coach a championship level team. Mm -hmm. If other championship level teams see him as a difference maker this offseason, would it surprise you if we're looking at like a Sean Payton scenario for Nick Nurse where a team comes calling and and dangles a first or a couple future seconds or something like that um, for the right to talk to Nick Nurse ahead of of his lame duck year? Like, I I think when you've had this type of season where none of the things that have worked for so long are working anymore— Everything is on the table with that kind of stuff.
0: That's the thing is day by day, it feels more and more like it. Like I mentioned, it started this year with, well, Gary Trent probably gets traded, right? Mm-hmm. And then it became because
2: that contract always seemed like uh, you were yeah. rolling the asset over. Yep. If he was part of the long term plans,
0: that's a four or five year deal. Uh. One hundred percent. Everybody kind of knew. And then even this kind of posturing that's been going on about Gary Trent and the Raptors maybe come back to it's like, no, 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 that's not gonna go that they're not gonna hear. Here's the
2: smoking gun with that.
0: No one has put a dollar number on it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they probably
2: would agree if the Raptors the Raptors would love to sign him for eighteen million and Gary Trent would love to re-sign for thirty million.
0: Yeah. So it started with Gary, then it trickled into should the Raptors move off of Fred Van Vliet? He took a lot of barbs from the fan base. Now it's become OG. Now it feels like all three of those guys could eventually move. Um, yeah, and if those guys move, it's pretty clear that going into the offseason, the number one storyline around basketball is going to be whether or not Siakam gets moved into trade. Um, Especially if he doesn't make all NBA, because again, then he's not
2: super max eligible. Mm -hmm. A team could acquire him and extend him to a regular max and be pretty confident with that. I think like extend him through his age 34 season, a guy who has a late start and a late peak and puts the work in that he does. Yep. Um, I, I don't think anyone would really blush at that.
0: Not to mention that he's not going to want to play ball with just, hey, you're taking extra nights off for those very reasons. So if you're trying to tank and you move off of those guys, like, listen, the Raptors are bad with those three guys they move mm-hmm. off of them they take back bad contracts picks whatever the hell they end up getting it's going to be hard for them to win games but you're Siakam, not
2: better next year Trading no, no, no. those guys away
0: you're not better next year but you're also not good enough this year to win a lot of games I'm just saying that you still can't even go the full tank route where you can set uh you can set aside like 10 more games where Siakam sits because he, he has no you can
2: if you give him his money Sure. Like, he could potentially buy into that if you give him the the max that you can give him and be like, look, this year's going to be tough, but here's your money now. It's not going to mm-hmm. affect your money. But Pascal's also, like, not really – um like, he's got the life-changing money already. Yep. I think he is a guy that if he were to stay – and I think he, everything I've heard is that he would strongly prefer to stay. Like, I think he wants to, like, be the guy that breaks Demar's franchise records and stuff like that. Yeah. Also has the ring has more all-stars and all-NBAs and stuff like that. Have you
0: seen what this franchise has done for, like, Kyle Lowry? He knows, like, what the potential is. Also, Siakam made it very clear an off-season ago that he wanted to be the man. Mm -hmm. And if he's getting traded somewhere else, it's very likely that he's going to be someone's co-pilot. Yeah. The the question is: Is he going to tolerate potentially having to pivot into being the co-star of Scotty Barnes? That's not going to happen a year from now. But you also you could... those guys should play really well together. Like we're we're already
2: starting to see the one nice thing about the like the Raptors aren't winning games, yeah. but that Fred Scotty Pascal chemistry yeah. has come along with 100%. the three man game. So hundred percent you can maybe and like I don't know maybe it's not as. Black and white as we're making it, and the franchise goes into next season's like, hey, maybe things click. But realistically, say Gary, Fred, and OG are all turned into lesser players plus future assets. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you land Wemby or Scoot, who this is a really good draft. Most drafts don't have guys that come in and impact winning day one. Like Paolo Bankero is unbelievable, and the magic. Are only winning just enough games to not hurt their lottery mm-hmm. situation, right? Like it was a huge deal when the Raptors lose the Suns the other night and the Magic win. It's like, oh, caught up a game. Um, like, and that's the guy who is runaway rookie of the year. Scotty Barnes won rookie of the year last year. Obviously, he was very good. It wasn't until late in the year mm-hmm. that all of that stuff was starting to impact winning. Sure. So, short of Wemby or Scoot, who are kind of like generational prospects like Scoot's been the best player in the g-league for two years by head and shoulders um if you get one of those two guys then yeah maybe you could talk yourself into being competitive next year but otherwise like if the draft equity you're talking back is the thompson brothers or miller or one of the arkansas and alabama kids or whatever like that's not those are really fun things to build with but they're not making you better next year so
0: they're not but this is okay now we're
2: i know i kind of circled back to the start of your point sorry
0: it's okay I guess where I'm where I was trying to go with a lot of this is we know now Messiah has missed on like some drafts right that's been pretty clear the culture is had a lot of cracks in it there's no question that he won a championship that he's still adored you know there's still a lot of you know believe in Masai, right um, I would argue that last trade deadline was not great for him uh, especially this is actually a guy who has not historically been super aggressive at deadlines, like does not mm-hmm. like the idea of having to have the pressure of this, like go down this way again. He's kind of had himself, I believe saved by certain things like the way the Lakers were so adamant with the Kyle Lowry trade. And just like, for whatever reason though, the Raptors really did like Taylor Horton Tucker. And like, I've watched a decent chunk of him and, I don't really understand their level of interest in him. Maybe or, they think they could have developed them better. Well, but yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, to me, Taylor Horton Tucker is pretty clearly like a, yeah, middling bench guy. He's like a poor man's Karis LeVert. <laughs> it's also, like, it's, I don't need poor man's Karis LeVert. It's anyway.
2: hilarious to look back to like a year or two ago on the guys that yeah. Miami and the Lakers fans didn't want to trade. Like Kendrick Nunn yeah. and Taylor Horton Tucker have both just been like cast-offs in trades.
0: Now. Yes, exactly. Um, he's missed on the draft picks like Scotty Barnes aside, but that was four. It was a great pick. A lot of people had Suggs for sure. Like deserves credit for it. Absolutely. But they have not developed the same way as when they won the championship. The culture is starting to show cracks um, there's some indications that guys, you know, obviously if they give them the max amount of money, will want to sign here. But if not, then they probably would rather be somebody else. Even acquiring Gary Trent Jr., it's like okay, he ended up with a two-year contract, right? Like you didn't get him on a friendly number on the books. There've just been a lot of actual misses recently. And the one thing Masai has the like number one quiver for him is that he just does not lose trades. And I wonder if you think there's a certain level of pressure here where hey, um, he's going into a deadline with potentially having to move 3 of this fa- like this team's foundational players um what happens if he like doesn't move a couple of these guys what happens if this does have to kind of go in the offseason what happens if this kind of has to continue down the stretch and guys start to get vocal like i i wonder what your belief is in terms of the pressure level on him because it's like not like he's getting fired it's not like there's sections of the fan base that are going to turn on him but but i do i do feel like there's There's something brewing here if he misses on a trade or if he doesn't get this done in a way that the fan base likes.
2: Now, I don't think he would feel this pressure, Uh but certainly optically and narratively, this is the first time in his entire tenure with the Raptors that the Raptors have been accidentally bad. The whole point and like. He has gone through almost the same decision set with the Damar, Kyle, JV ish mm-hmm. core, where it's like, ah, uh, it's not a championship core. Is our path to a championship likelier if we keep it together and just keep trying to marginally improve or if we tear it all down? The difference is that core never had a season where they didn't have like a bonkers good regular season it was always playoff failures often past the first round. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty big difference from your seven games under 500 and not even going to make the play. It hasn't been this bad. So I'm, I would say I'm more curious than like thinking he's under pressure because like he hasn't been in this spot. He's been in similar spots, but similar spots where it was a lot easier to justify keeping the group together and just, making improvements on top of that. What will be
0: fascinating. The league's to me, also wise to him now, you know, like in a, in a way that they weren't when he was originally making a lot of the moves that he made.
2: Sure. And like Dolan isn't yeah. giving them a leg up with the extra first that became Pirtle that then became a chip in the Kawhi trade. Milwaukee's
0: like, not getting desperate for Gravis Vasquez, <laughs> you know, like there are things.
2: Yeah. And like, look, there are always going to be bad GMs around the league. Mm-hmm. It, it happens. Um, but yeah, I think that at a certain point, if you have a reputation for winning every trade, it then gets harder to make trades, right? Yeah. Like people are looking a little more closely. It's the it's like if the Tampa Bay Rays ask for one of your prospects or cast offs in a trade, you start to look at that guy a little more closely because like, oh, what do the Rays see mm-hmm. that we're not seeing with this guy? He's going to come back to bite us as like a 120 inning reliever somehow. Um, so there's maybe an element of that. But. The thing I'm most curious about, and I hope that we get to talk to Masai post-deadline and not just Bobby, but if they don't, like, if they stick with this middle ground, we got to start to hear what the plan is to move it in one direction or the other. Because I think the worst thing the Raptors can do this year at the deadline and heading into next offseason
0: is only trade one guy.
2: Yeah. The the middle ground option you got to sell me on if this core is mostly staying together, how does it get better from here? Because you don't have a lot of cap space and there are 30 teams around the NBA who will play the, yeah, but our guys will develop and get better.
0: Yeah, they can't do that. But this is what I'm saying is this, this happened before with Kyle and it ended up being, um, well, well, a couple things happened. One is the fan base and I think media members, whatever, they ran away with speculation of what Lowry's value was going to be. And it got completely out of control. I remember having conversations with serious people about the Raptors getting back Maxi and Theibel and maybe a first Like It was wildly out of control. It was wild.
2: And I did a – I was at The Athletic at the time still. Mm -hmm. And I did like a full – it's my favorite type of article to do. Like a full negotiation over Google Doc Mm -hmm. with our 76ers writer. And I got – maxi and picks back in the deal That's because that person covering the 76ers thought they were they were a kyle lowry away yeah and maxi wasn't maxi yet now i got told after the fact that like that like people wondering if that was a possibility got carried away into the raptors declined uh, a tyrese maxi deal like the the cap Stuff around it means the Sixers would have had to give up a bunch I've of extra i two
0: different things on this. Before. Yeah,
2: I, I don't think Maxi was on the table um, because I think Maxi is a level of enough of a prospect that even if Kyle Lowry's not thrilled with the deal, like mm-hmm. it's Tyrese Maxi. Like there's a big gap between either Maxie way. And,
0: it's, it's not to re legislate that. It's no, just more to illustrate the point of the expectations got extremely high. And the deal ended up being okay because the Raptors got precious. And I Mm -hmm. think anybody with, you know, two eyes and a brain can see that. Like, he's a nice piece. You know, young, can play defense, brings a lot of energy. It's pretty raw still with him a lot of nights where you watch the offense and you go, some nights he looks amazing. And you go, boy, this guy is a real find. And then there are other times where you say to yourself, all right, maybe he's like a 12 and 8 guy. (laughs) You know, like, who knows? He'll probably, but that's a decent floor for a player either way expectations got out of control, but people sort of accepted it. I, 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 don't think that this is the case this time around. Like when they move OG and an OB P, now that it has been projected as the Donovan Mitchell type hall, mm-hmm. that's what I think people need to get back. And that probably happens, but I am curious to see if the OG trade does not happen at the deadline because some team doesn't move those pieces and they don't get a lot back for Fred or Gary. Um, Or they wait on Fred because they think that can get done in the offseason, kind of like the Kyle thing, how people respond. Like, that's the level of pressure that. And I think we've already
2: started to see it a little bit. And I know this isn't everything, but, like, the Raptors lost their sellout streak this year. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the answer is, honestly, that people just tune out. Yeah. Because no one's going to be excited about. Getting into the play-in and then even if you get in, like getting pasted by Milwaukee or or Boston or losing to Philly again, like that's not – that doesn't tingle for anyone at this stage in where they're building. Now, I, I would say you could justify the not moving OG part. Like he's got another year at least very affordable. You can't
0: justify it if he's as unhappy as these reports seem to be, sure though, can. just because – Well, your favorite line, that's what the money's for. Yeah, that is what the money's for. But we we do know that the louder that stuff gets, the more teams try to pressure you to give less.
2: But, but like, that's where him having the Mm controllability comes in. Because if he's unhappy, like, you revisit in the offseason when more teams have cap space and more teams could talk themselves into OG and teams could have a window into, like, maybe the Raptors wink, wink, let a team talk extension with OG once he's Mm -hmm. extension eligible Um you know in the off season. So uh, there are more possibilities there. The Fred and Gary decisions are like this is one of the more surprising things about this deadline season so far has been that OGs come to the forefront because you don't have to make the decision on him yet in the way you do with Gary and Fred.
0: See it's weird because if I had to go in my mind right now what are the most likely scenarios or what are the ones that are most um important? Obviously, got to trade Gary Trent. Like that's number one with the bullet because he's just not taking the money back, and or you're not paying him what he wants. The sauce you got to take whatever the market is for Gary. Whatever you think the best thing is, that that gets done. I actually think OG the pressure is like he's number two in the you have to trade him ranking. Simply because I think that you have a year where there's a lot of teams that could talk themselves into well, this is our moment to get him, and we don't want to screw around. Dude, and, look at the Western Conference standings, but, but, how tight e- they are. Exactly, and so when you, you look at the competitive balance of the league and also the fact that this is a dry deadline where nobody else is out there and OG is the only player of, like, massive impact for now but also the future, I, I think the Raptors are in a unique position where there might not be this offer a year from now from a team. The guy that I think that they might end up waiting on is Fred because you can keep Van Vleet around – you can probably still have conversations about him and keeping Siakam and Scotty and trying to have a little bit of like a hey, what if this is the three guys? We you talked about that chemistry earlier. Adding some younger players, there's still you can give Fred money. There's just a case to be made. Or you can still take that in the offseason and do the Lowry thing where the sons of the Magic come to you with an offer that they probably are just tabling now that isn't going to change come off season time and make that decision then if he really doesn't want to do it. I actually think, like, Fred is the guy where there's the least amount of urgency to move.
2: Well, he's the most signed and tradable for sure. Yeah. But, like, uh, I, I still think there's not urgency with OG unless that situation has got
0: more untenable than... I I don't mean urgency from the fact that it's like No, cash yeah, in at the height. Cash in at, at the, the height, height of his time. value. Because I you just think that you can't not trade him now, have the rumor be three Knicks first round picks. Yeah. And then next offseason he gets traded for, you know, two Denver picks.
2: Right. But what what I'm saying is that because OG is still very good, very young, very malleable in a in a roster construction and has term left on his deal, like mm-hmm. I just I'm not if if I'm them, I have to be blown away with those headline-making OG and an OB returns, or I I'm just keeping be. the guy because sure. he's really good. And, like, it's not like he can leave at the end. of the Yo, you're unhappy that you only get to average 17 points a game, and if this team is
0: good. That's make- the weird thing about OG, right, is, like, and I've brought this up before, but, okay, he's, he's, like, pretty widely celebrated still around the league. Like, he has, like, number one hipster cachet for whatever the hell that's worth. Like, Blake, the, the, he and I were texting the other day, like, he, Blake thinks he's better than Bridges. Like, and I'm like, this is insane because bridges does like most things offensively better than OG. And it's like, I think a lot of people would agree with Blake. Like, I think a lot of people would agree with Blake that he's that level of a player. So it's like optically he's been fine. Um, he's been written about by Zach Lowe, like people around the league, like look at his value right now. I mean Zach
2: Lowe was the first one to float the like Donovan Mitchell return.
0: Exactly. So he's clearly known around the NBA, um, He's empowered in this offense in the way that okay maybe he's not the guy who brings the ball up, but he can't handle the basketball. So obviously he's not going to be that. But
2: also that comes with a little less pressure, right?
0: Yes, but when has there ever been a time where OG took the ball to the rack or took a shot and you said to yourself, "Oh, OG, like that's not your job." It's like no, he's like no one bats an eye when he takes over more offense. Like I, I am, I I do wonder. Yeah, how much of this is beyond just the actual I have to sacrifice stuff? Because, like, I've never really felt like there's all that much to sacrifice. Anyways, we got to go, but... Um, yeah, you have kind of a big guest coming up. Yeah, I do. All I will say is this, is... I, if the rumor is three Knicks picks, and you get the opportunity to fade the Knicks, <laughs> I don't know how that got passed up. Um, that has to be a really, really great indicator of what the market is for OG, because... As much as I really love that player, and Blake outlined all those great things about him, three Knicks first-round picks, <laughs> like the New York Knicks, the them, yeah, uh, the most overrated team in basketball. You ever hear? like every day I have to hear stories of Jalen Brunson and how great they are, and then every time I watch the Knicks, I'm like, this team kind of sucks.
2: <laughs> they also own a bunch of other teams' picks yeah. this year.
0: Okay, well, either way, I just I'm just saying that wouldn't be the worst thing to take those next picks and just run. All right, quick break. Let's come back and talk to the hall of famer. One of the greatest of all time, Ray Bork. All right, Ray Bork in a couple of minutes. Very excited to speak to him again. I, I cannot tell you going down the rabbit hole. Thanks to Sean McKindo, by the way, I read, you know, Mark Boffo, our producer sent me his article on Ray. Coincidental timing that we ended up getting them well not coincidental seeing as the Bruins are you know facing Leafs tonight So that was really the impetus was looking around looking at Bruins legends You know get somebody on get Ray. He's an anytime guest whatever right, but Sean wrote this awesome article at the Athletic that I went through and It helped inspire some of the questions for this interview. I I think that there's one part of it um I believe is now, again, I think Ray Bork, there's a strong case that he's one of the most underrated, if not the most underrated athlete in the big four. Although the uh, the numbers that came out about the NHL in the States yesterday indicate that it's not a big four. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a big four in the States. The NHL getting lumped in with the other three might be a bit of a stretch right now. But I think that there's a good case he might be the most underrated athlete in the modern day era from... Yeah, any of those four leagues. And two is I think that the greatest award injustice justice in North American pro sports was done to Ray Bork. And I'll ask him about that in a couple of minutes. But first, quickly, it's time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Must be an Ontario resident. Please play responsibly. Um, so quickly, this is all. Sean Payton got moved. Yesterday, he was traded. I'm furious at Jobo that he's not here today. Like, I have two Saints fans that work on the show, which is useless, right? Like, it's useless all the time. And then the one day the Saints have thing. Joe fakes sick and Simon isn't here. Pete's here. But um, how about those Browns, J.D.? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm getting here. <laughs> so heading into the playoffs, Denver was plus 4,000 to win the Super Bowl. Um, Following the Peyton trade, they're plus 2,800. That's on DraftKings right now. That is a massive leap for a team that is going to be picking fifth overall this season. Oh, wait. Seattle has that pick. You won't be picking fifth overall. That is a gutsy maneuver for this organization. Like They're going full L.A. Rams, but without having players of pedigree like without having like they've got an awesome corner they've got a solid defense they've got a quarterback who's a huge question mark they've got receivers coming off of injuries who were underwhelming last year like i don't see it with this denver team and yeah i'm a little nervous that sean payton took this job because he's worked with an undersized quarterback before i feel like he can probably get a lot out of russell wilson but it still scares me anyways That was time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in the action. Must be 19 plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Anyway, I think it's pretty clear from what I'm just mentioning that I think think that Denver overpaid. And yeah, the pick that they gave up this year is I think the 29th pick. And then it's a future second. So it's not like they gave up. The, the way that I originally read it was that they gave up a pick for next year, like however it ends up, which is terrifying. Either way, I do not love it. I really do not love it. Um, Ray Bork is on the line. He and Mark are just having a chat. But like I mentioned, you go down the Ray Bork stat wormhole. And it is just one thing after another where you go, how is that possible? How are we not talking about this more often? Um, Five-time Norris winner, uh, six-time runner-up, 19-time All-Star, Stanley Cup champion, and founder of the Bork Family Foundation. You can visit uh, borkfamilyfoundation.org. I always say, like, It'd be great always if just some of the listeners of this podcast, you know, go take a look, make a donation. It's right there. You can contact. But, yeah, they've uh, they've donated over $20 million to over 1,000 different organizations. It's pretty good. Like, that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, maybe even more impressive than the resume itself. Ray Bork, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am very good, sir. Um, okay, so... 19 time All Star, that's pretty decent. Hey, like, that's all right. You like hearing that one? This is like 19 times? 19, Ray. Right. Um, we've been talking a lot about the All Star game the last couple of weeks because there's always these stories right around now of like, is the format right? Has it lost its shine? Um, and I was kind of making the case the other day, like, I hate that there's a representative from every team because it used to be that it was a real measurement. It was a different level of accomplishment. And like, you know, as a young hockey fan, I remember watching you in the accuracy competitions and how big it was. And you know, your game winner, 96 in Boston, what did being a nighttime all all-star mean to you? Like what did an all-star game mean then?
3: Um, it was always an honor and a privilege to play in it. And, uh, for me, it is you know somewhat of a measuring stick in terms of how you're doing to your peers and and how's the season going for you. And uh, it was something that I always enjoyed and always kind of looked forward to. Um, I've got to say that you know my first All-Star game uh, compared to my last one uh, was certainly played a lot different. Uh, you know that first All-Star game was in L.A. or, or like Washington, L.A. and uh, and there's you know it was still a pretty physical game, and it was played hard and and the score wasn't uh you know crazy it was a competitive game and compared to the end that you know nobody really wanted to bump into anybody and it was uh, it was uh, it was no fun for the goalies or even defensemen uh you know to play in because you knew that you weren't getting much help on the defensive side of the puck and and you didn't want to be that guy to kind of lay out the big hit or, or something like that. But uh, it was always a fun weekend uh, for me. I, I You know, I was always kind of looking forward to the target shooting because I, I had so much success at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I just don't understand how these – Snipers that would score fifty, sixty goals a year couldn't hit a target uh, without anybody on you. But uh, I found a way to do it, and uh, it was always something that was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, it was again a genuine highlight for a lot of us growing up. Do you? So you said you you felt that shift in these games? Do you? Do you, like? No one wants to get hurt, and I can understand guys, you know, limiting a little bit of the physicality. But was that something that you guys talked about? Because again, like the real stewards, the future Hall of Famers of the game, when you started to feel that. Was it a point of discussion? Like, how did that, how did it happen? Do you have a theory?
3: Well, I just know that the last competitive game, I, all-star game I played in was 96 yeah. in Boston when I did score that. That that was, I think the score was 5-4 or 6-5. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very competitive game. And it was, you know, not that it was physical, but it was played hard. and uh, And guys were, you know, we're taking, uh, you know, pride in terms of playing without the puck and, and you know, coming back hard and and playing the game the way I think it should be played. Uh, you know, when it's wide open and 12-11, 12-10 game. I mean, I don't think it's it's something that's fun to watch and and to fun and all that much fun to play. And you know, if you're not the guy scoring three or four goals, uh, you come out of that game minus four or five or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Not much fun, uh, but the whole weekend and, and, you know, the celebration of the game, I think is what you kind of look at, and it's an opportunity to, like, guys, you know, to get together that, you know, you, you you butt heads all year long, and then you're in the same room, and, and uh, get to meet people that maybe you've never met, other than just playing against them.
0: Yeah, see, this is the thing that I keep coming back to recently, but... Uh, It is interesting hearing it from someone like you. I think that people who really love hockey um, understand that it isn't just the skill in the game that attracts people to it. And that these showcases, this is something that I've been trying to discuss for the last couple of weeks is, yeah, it's great to be able to show off skill, right? And you had those opportunities when you, you know, sniped those targets. And that other guys had the chance to do that. But when you just show that off in the game and there's no other piece of it, I, I just, I'm not sure who's coming away from it saying, yeah, I love this. I I want this. There's a blend, and I think that the league is kind of starting to lose a little bit of it. Um, so I mentioned yesterday I'm prepping for this interview, and um, I'm just going through so many different facts about your career, and it's it's incredible. Like, And I know everybody knows that, but there's just so many things just from down to... You know, your 19-shot game, the shots that you had in your entire career, the amount of seasons you were top five and, yeah, Norris voting and, yeah, being a five-time winner but a six-time runner-up. Um, yeah, do you, I wonder if you feel underrated.
3: Um, I think I'm partially to blame for that. I was never looking for uh, all that much attention. I just kind of went about my job in, in a quiet, humble way. And uh, that's just uh, the person I am. But, And I never, you know, I never stopped on really any of my successes. Uh, I didn't want to um, because I was just, you know, I was looking for perfection on a daily basis when I look back on my career. And, you know, knowing that you're never going to attain that, but having that kind of mindset made you the best you could be every day. So when I look back at my career, those are the strengths. That's why I had the career I did. And I said once it's all over with and you know, you look back and, and, and when I look back on it I go, Wow, you know, um going into you know, nineteen seventy nine your first game, you you can't really imagine to have that kind of success. All you wanna do is survive, make the team, establish yourself as a solid NHL player. And then right off the bat, I had, you know, tremendous success, and and I just didn't want that to stop. And uh, I know how hard I worked, how I prepared, and and everything I did to allow me to have that success. But um, I I just know what I did and how I did it, and I'm very proud and happy about that. And, um, you know, people say or, or, you know, it's talked about. I got a lot of attention. Did I get enough or am I underrated? Uh, it doesn't really matter to me. I know what I did, and I think uh, you know, I'm just very proud and, and happy how everything... I lived the dream. It was just an amazing, amazing 22 years that I lived playing in the NHL, and uh, it was a blast.
0: Yeah, of course you should be incredibly proud of your career. I do think, though, that you are criminally underrated, to the point where I think that there's a case uh, for you being the most underrated athlete like in modern era, especially for hockey, I think absolutely, but I think there's a couple things that need to be pointed out. And... I think you own sports' greatest injustice in the 1983-84 season. You scored 31 goals and had 96 points. You lost the Norris to Rod Langway. Who great player. But do you remember how many points Rod Langway had that year? Uh not even half I would think. Yeah, 33. Yeah. Okay? You had uh, he had two more points than you had goals, Ray, and you lost uh, the Norris to him. That is like uh, there's nothing. Uh, go find me anybody. I challenge any listener of this podcast, any listener of the show, go find me a greater injustice than that. Could you imagine social media if that happened today? Like that is outrageous. To make it even worse, he <laughs> won it again. He won it before that year, 83 oh, that he won it.
3: I was going to say, I was going to say, he only, he didn't only win it once. Yeah, he Uh, won it twice in a row. I could go back on, I could go back on a lot of those things. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's voted by the press and it's, um, Hey, that's the way she goes sometimes, right?
0: Yeah, that's the way she goes. Again, 82-83, the year before, you would have thought that, okay, maybe that year. They go, okay, uh, Bork has 73 points to Rod's 32. Um, Still, they give it to Langway. But the next year, for that to happen back-to-back years is just, like I said, I think that's sports' greatest injustice from an award standpoint. And then you own another one, which is in 1990. You have the most first and second-place votes for the heart, And then people leave you off the ballot entirely, and so Messier wins. And that's the kind of stuff where I just look back and go, all right, yes, of course you're proud of your career. Again, like, how could you not be? The amount of seasons that you had, the fact that you had just, like, longevity of just about nobody else. You end up with the Stanley Cup, right? Like, you are the only guy that's, like, nominated for every single award that has ever been given out, which is something, like, Gretzky can't say. But that has to just... Like I don't. When do you let go of that? Like that has
3: to be a chip for
0: years, 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 years. Stuff like that.
3: Uh, that that one really hurt. Um, you know when you, I think I was told I lost by one vote, and you have two guys that didn't have me first, second, or third. And uh, and and that year was just it was between uh, Mass and I, and you know uh, Brett Hall was a distant third, and that that was I I couldn't understand that one. So that one hurt because. That was my one and only time, really, that I had the opportunity to win the heart. And that's one that would have been a lot of fun to win. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Again, you
0: got robbed. I would say, if it's me and I'm, you know, the sports dictator, everybody who voted on these... Immediate jail. Like <laughs> there's so many people <laughs> that are just getting trotted into prison right now, Ray, for these votes. I
3: like, I like, I like your style.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, guess what? Yeah, it's again, it's jail, prison sentences, and yeah, I don't know how many years is gonna take to, before we even review this. Um, okay, so. Uh, I am curious too, like you have 17 uh, playoff appearances in a row. You're just going at it over and over and over again. And it's hard to compare you to, you know, this year or this iteration of the Toronto Maple Leafs, because again, you made the conference finals basically right away in 83, uh, the cup runs 88 and 90. But when did it really, like, obviously the losses wear on you at the end of the season, but when did it start to really drag on you differently? Like, when did it start to feel like, uh, you know, a monkey on your back?
3: You mean the cup or just
0: uh yeah, just like the playoff losses in a row when people started to spark like Ray Bork doesn't win the
3: big one, even though again
0: you well, lost Stanley mean, so Cups it's... to the Oilers
3: um but we didn't match up well, and we we're always a player or two away from really um giving ourselves an honest chance to to really compete till the end, and I mean that's why I left Boston at the end i you know, I just wanted to have a competitive team, and we did for. You know, I'd say you know, I was I was there for almost 21 years. I'd say for about mm-hmm. you know 17, 16 or 17 of those years, we're pretty competitive and we had a chance and we made the playoffs and and we had you know two great runs in '88 and '90. That was so much fun to get to the finals. But when you look back, you know, uh, and after I end up winning in Colorado, you're not really playing for the Cup until you win three games in the finals, and we never really got close to that in Boston, but. Um and and then, you know, not even making the playoffs. That's that's when it gets really hard and and disappointing. And I think, you know, knowing what uh, the Boston uh fanatic and, and how passionate they are about their sports, you can never have a team in Boston I don't care if it's you know the Red Sox Patriots or Bruins or Celtics you know that is competitive that doesn't have a chance to make the playoffs and and really make a run in the playoffs so um, I thought that was unfair uh, to, to me and to our teammates how bad we were at that point in time, that's where I had to make a decision that I never thought I would make uh, to leave Boston and to go somewhere there, where I could be you know competitive and get in a position where uh, you could win again, so uh, I did that and living that in Colorado and ended up winning um, was amazing. And yes, I gotta say that you know all the things that all the successes and all the stuff that that I um, that I achieved. You know the one thing, you know, yeah, Ray Borg but you know he's never won the cup. I mean, you know how many great players have never won the cup that. Um, it's such a team game, and it's so hard to win that uh, that would burn. Uh, that you know that would hurt every time I would hear that. So to finally win one and to get it done uh, was uh, an amazing, amazing relief, and uh, it was fun to experience.
0: Do you remember when that, like, what age you were around <laughs> when that started to kick in? When it really started to burn?
3: Um. You know, as my career was going on, and you kind of know that you know you're probably running out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing if you're going to be, and, and then finding yourself in a position where you know you got no chance. Um, you know, <clears throat> that's probably mid '30s when you know we were non-competitive as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know, as a player, you you, you want to be in the mix, and you're always striving and hoping and about winning that cup, and um, so it's um, it was fun. It was really a, it was a tough a tough decision uh, to finally pull the trigger on asking to go somewhere else. But uh, those 15 months in Denver was uh, were amazing. How, were you ever close to not
0: coming back for that final year?
3: Um, well, when I got traded, I only had that year left on my contract. That's what I and mean. I went yeah, uh, I the minute no I you know what, it was it was a mix of two things when I left. It was like very uh, non competitive team in Boston, but also I was thirty eight years old and I was always one to bring, you know, just passion and energy and just a lot of fun to the rink every day and that was really wearing on me and I was lacking a lot of that stuff. So I wanted to go somewhere to a healthy situation to see, you know, hey, you're thirty eight years old. Is it on uh kind of hanging up or you get in the right situation you'll find that again and I got to Denver and it didn't take very long to to realize and recognize that hey this is fun and uh, I've got I've got some, some something left in the tank and I was going to come back for another year but I knew that second year that I came back I only wanted a, a one-year contract I told Pure Lacroix I said just give me the same deal I had last year and a one-year deal and he says no i'm giving you a two-year deal and i said i don't want a two-year deal i'm not playing two years i'm playing one more year and that's it regardless so he said i'm giving you a two-year deal i signed a two-year deal and i didn't come back for that second year um so just my wife and i kind of knew that that was going to be my last year uh regardless of what was going to happen and you know uh what happened is i won my last hockey game so it was amazing
0: yeah, and now it's kind of the benchmark for everyone, the way for people to end their career. It is wild to look back, though, just because, again, you were the runner up for the Norris again. Um, and do you remember the, like, even close to the average ice time that you had those finals? These were your ice times in the playoffs um, when you were 39 and 40 years old. 29 uh, 38 average time on ice, 13 games, and then 21 games when you won the Stanley Cup final. 28 uh, 32 a night. Like. <laughs> Yeah. How is that possible
3: uh, you're forty yeah well um good recovery uh <laughs> good change uh just um hey, that's the way she I, I my whole career i I played plenty of minutes I think I averaged the most minutes played my last year in denver yeah. um and but i that's i i was one that really enjoyed it and wanted it and um many many coaches said they were going to cut my ice time and it never happened
0: yeah it was hard when you were producing the way that you were and you were getting pucks on the net at the rate that you were as well but yeah do, do you have anything like conditioning wise how like yeah how much of this is genes versus how much of this was you doing things differently because yeah it is pretty incredible it's that many years in the league and staying that productive that late into a career
3: well, I met somebody very special when I was 14 years old. He was my high school gym teacher in Montreal, and, um, and his name was uh, Zick. And he had a track and field team in Montreal that four of his runners ended up going to the Olympics. And, and Ben was a, um, a hockey coach. He coached hockey, baseball, basketball. He was all sports, an amazing man. And uh, ended up being my mentor. And he started training me at the age of 16 years old. And Ben ended up going to the Olympics as a, as a middle distance coach with the Canadian Olympic team and all kinds of Commonwealth Games with Team Canada. Um, and he started training me at the age of 16 years old till the day I retired. So every summer he'd give me a 12-week program that involved a lot of different things. And I think, you know, how 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 people train is, Is all for speed and quickness and and strength and all that stuff. But there's one factor that in anything that you build, you need a good base, and and a lot of that base for me was you know slow, long runs or bike rides and all that to build that base. I think to allow me to to recover the way I did, and um, and just uh, I got to give him a lot of credit and just uh, being there, and, and in terms of his programs and. And the training that I uh, I did every summer uh, allowed me to to do what I did.
0: I can't wait to now train just a little bit slower and go like this. Is how work did it? No,
3: but it was a mix. It was a yeah. mix of everything. though. but yeah. you know what? That's one one component that I just don't understand. That a lot of the athletes, uh, you know, they don't. It's not in their program, and I think it's it's an important one.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, how often do guys come to you for advice on stuff like this? Does it happen?
3: Uh, No, it's not something that really comes up uh, very often um, other than when I'm asked,
0: you know. Like, uh, how involved are you, like, right now with the Bruins?
3: I love watching it. Uh, I go to the games when I have to because when I go to the games, I don't see much of the game, so I'd rather just watch it at home. Yeah. uh, Or, you know, I'm I'm partly, uh, I spend, like, about five months in Florida and then the rest here in Boston, but, um, you know, early in the season, the first half of the season, I'll, I'll go to games and all that stuff. Um, I, I in communication sometimes with, uh, some of the Bruins players. Um, I had a good relationship with, uh, Butch Cassidy and I, you know, I've met, uh, in Montgomery, uh, quite a few times here and, uh, really enjoyed, uh, talking to him and getting to know him a little bit um but not nothing nothing official with the Bruins at all
0: Yeah um yeah I would imagine that the Bruins games you go to it's hard to watch <laughs> you're just staring at different people's phones the entire time <laughs> like that's getting another picture another person sheepishly coming up to you telling you what uh, you meant to them and then being like all right maybe yeah the opposite of your eyesight. like maybe you get like 2 minutes of actual watching the hockey game so yeah maybe at home What do you think of this year's Bruins team because it, it kind of feels like at this point, hey, it's, well, they're clearly Stanley Cup or bust. And yeah, you you do spend a lot of time in the Boston area. Is that, like, is there a real difference in terms of the way the market is reacting to this team? Because yeah, it, it has been a very special season for them.
3: Well, I think it's kind of a, you know, a pleasant surprise and how it's done, um, not only here in Boston, but I think across the league. Um, you know, thinking that they were going to be a competitive team and, you know uh, they are going to be a, a playoff team, but I think nobody really saw them on top of the league and dominating the way they have so far. And I'm kind of happy that they're going through a little skid right now. You know, and, and kind of you got to go through a few of these bumps in the road uh, as the season goes on. I would hate them just kind of rolling into the playoffs and all of a sudden something happens in the playoffs and you have no time to recover. So um, they're just um, they're just so impressive. I mean, I just that leadership group and that core guys and uh, I just look at their depth and they look different to me this year uh, I, I just like their depth I think it's they're bigger they're stronger they're harder to play against um, they play fast um, and and and, um, and you know is leading the way with Marshawn and, and you know the way they started the year without Marshawn and And uh, McAvoy and Griswick, uh, you know, those are three regular guys that are important in your lineup, and they just got off to an amazing start, and it hasn't stopped. So they've been so much fun to watch, and um, it's pretty exciting, you know, what what might be in front of them.
0: Ray, uh, it was a real pleasure to get to speak with you today. Um, I'm glad that I got to, again, go through the numbers uh, and look through some of the, yeah, highlights of your career. Uh, I still, like I said, think those sports writers would be in jail. Um, my, I think every single one of them, again, if there's some of them, I hope one is just listening to this at some point and has just a, maybe just a hair rise on the back of their neck and embarrassment and sheepishness. But, uh, yeah, again, continue your excellent work with the Bork family foundation, which you can visit borkfamilyfoundation.org, uh, over $20 million. Wow. Uh, raised for over a thousand different organizations. Thanks so much for joining me today.
3: Well, thanks for having me, uh, and uh, thanks for pumping my tires. appreciate it. Yeah, uh, it wasn't very
0: hard. Uh, <laughs> take care. Ray Bork. Uh, Hockey Hall of Famer. Feels like a, yeah, not enough to do it. Okay, so here's a theory I have. I actually think, so clearly Bork, it's it's amazing that he wins with Colorado. But what I think strangely hurts from a legacy standpoint is that over time people think about him like he was I don't want to say the original ring chaser but a famous guy who ends up on a stack team that wins but again like high impact player and as you go on through time especially now with where hockey is like 40 year old players don't have an impact in this league Ray Bork was having a massive impact at 40 years old for the Colorado Avalanche so I think if you were just thinking about him and you go oh Ray Bork And you think about his career and you think about, okay, him winning there. Him winning with Colorado at that age. Well, you know, he got on and he grabbed one at the end. It's like, no. Again, 20, almost 29 minutes of ice time. 10 points in 21 playoff games that year. 12. Yeah, like everything you go across, it's just... It's really impressive. Four goals in the playoffs as a defenseman in his age 40 season. Um, had he wanted to come back and get that second year of his contract, like obviously, absolutely he could have done it. So, yeah, I just think like there are so many things about his career, the robbery for the heart, the robberies. You can go through, base again, essentially every year of his career, he was top five in Norris. Like every year for, yeah, two decades like top five and many years you could have made a case. He should have won. Uh, Yeah. I think that it's, it's kind of overlooked because we think about him as this sounds disparaging. I really don't mean it to be that way, but I think a lot of people kind of associate the idea of like being uh, like a ring chaser to this and then getting a Stanley cup of being at the very end and having like the Hollywood script end to the career takes away a little bit of the 21 seasons before it, where he made again, 19 all-star games when it meant something.
2: I will say, um, you were saying he owns the greatest injustice, right?
0: Yeah, that's the worst one ever.
2: But maybe the hockey gods repaid him with that Stanley Cup moment. Because that's arguably the best ever.
0: Yeah, except for he's... You know, like that moment of Sackick passing off the cup and everything? You know, like that's a... Yeah, it's a great moment. That's how I kind of know him. It's a great moment. It's kind of embarrassing. No, but it's not embarrassing. It's just like that's what I'm saying is that's a lasting image. It's a great, great moment for the game that he ended up getting one. But no, those, yeah. I think he could have just gotten both. I think that would have been fine. Like, I think it's like you True. deserve to get the awards and accolades that, um, yeah, you deserve. And I just think like, yeah, there's just other defensemen who are greats, but who get a little bit more credit or come to mind more quickly. And yeah, I just, I can't really quite put my finger on why other than that, that his career is not discussed more or that it is, yeah, kind of painted in... Uh, yeah, like that, that he doesn't come up more in greatest of all time conversations, whatever, because yeah, it's just these some of them are just completely astounding. Again, go read Sean McKindo's piece. Um, it's like he, I think he wrote 77 reasons why he's the second best defenseman of all time. And it's a pretty compelling case. I read it. Yeah, a uh, night or two ago, and it was phenomenal. So congrats to Sean on that. He's an awesome hockey writer. He's not as good as a hockey writer as Bork was a hockey player, but close. I think. I really am a big fan of Sean. That's a nice compliment. Um, All right. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. And Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. What's the latest with the Raptors rumors? What's he hearing? What comes next? Raptors. Sportsnet 590. The fan. Really excited for our next guest. Long time NBA insider, writer. uh, It's Rick Buecher of FS1. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for doing this. Glad to do it. Hey, so yeah, you wrote a uh, front office confidential. Um, yes, sir. And it centered around the Toronto Raptors a couple of days ago. Um, yes. Yeah. It's been a pretty loud part of the year for a team where things are normally pretty quiet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to be louder. I think it was supposed to be a louder year in other ways, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yeah. I think the expectations for what the Raptors were going to be, and I was one of them. Uh, I was uh, – I was a believer, and it certainly hasn't it hasn't gone in that direction and I can only tell you that i'm I'm surprised and and somewhat mystified if I had to look at a reason why they have underachieved or the thing that i have that I did not anticipate is that uh it has become it has been so difficult to defend. Yeah. Uh, in, in the league this year and the way the game is being called. And it has really leaned on off not just offensive ability, but individual offensive ability, the ability to milk a superstar player uh, to get them the ball, uh, for them to get to the line if they're not scoring. Uh, if you look at the teams that are succeeding, that that's what they have and that's what the Raptors don't. And so – None of that really matters. They're underachieving. they got a number of guys that uh, that could go elsewhere and have decisions made. And that's ultimately why, you know, I was simply looking to find out, like, why, why hasn't anything happened to this point um, at the trade deadline and who might be the instigator to break the seal? And I just got over and over again from scouts and GMs and executives that, Uh, that they thought that the Toronto Raptors were going to be the 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 team that decided once they decided which direction they were going to go, that that was going to, that was going to break the seal, if you will.
0: Do you think that there's any risk of them waiting too long here? Like up until the 11th hour, just because like it doesn't seem like there are a ton of sellers out there and there certainly don't seem to be like, if we're talking about Fred Van Vliet versus Kyle Lowry, who's had a really tough season. I think that's a pretty clear, yeah. um, You'd rather wait and hold on to your assets or your cap space for a guy like Fred, but yeah, is, is the market starting to take shape in a way that you think could end up hurting the Raptors if they try to play this a little, like, into the 11th hour?
1: I don't, because I think there are so few sellers. Mm. If they decide to be a seller, uh, I think there are more teams that are interested in improving their stock than teams that are going to be looking to get rid of pieces. And it's really a result of the league's uh, play-in tournament. That it, it, they had hoped that that would stop teams from, uh, from tanking or from giving in on a season and trading, trading players away and um, uh, early on. And that's exactly what it has done. Um, it has, um, it, it has everybody believing that, hey, you know what? No matter where we are, we we still have a shot at it. So I, I just don't see that. I think the harder thing is, actually, is getting value in season rather than trying to construct something. If you're rebuilding to do it uh, once the season is over and everybody knows where they are and they know what they have a better sense of what their cap situation is, if you're, if you're making as many moves as has been suggested that the Raptors could make, Um, You know, whether it's sign and trades or anything else that might be easier to do come, you know, May, June, uh, rather than 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 doing it now when you do have the pressure of the season underway and teams are, are are a little more antsy about making dramatic changes particularly if they're really good
0: yeah well that's what's interesting uh, like another interesting component of where they're at is Masai's not a huge deadline guy and like he has done this before with Lowry a couple of years ago where we had tributes for Kyle Lowry playing (laughs) you know every major website in Canada was goodbye Kyle Lowry we will always remember you fondly and then all of a sudden he was just like on the floor the next night (laughs) and we went uh okay And then they trade him in yeah. the offseason. Um the difference is though is Lowry wasn't going to play a lot of games or impact any winning. And the Raptors have three guys essentially right now that are on the block who do that. Yeah. And if they keep them yeah. here, it pushes them further away from the top of the lottery. It pushes yeah. them potentially away from their rebuild. And um now there are just more and more reports coming out that this locker room, I don't want to use the word dysfunctional, but that there's a lot of um yeah, unhappiness, let's say, in the in the locker room. Mm-hmm. What what have you heard about that part of the this this piece about yeah the Raptors' happiness level when it comes to a lot of their players right now
1: I haven't necessarily heard a lot I mean I've heard you know little rumblings it's not like um it's not like the Atlanta Hawks like the Atlanta hawks have been hearing all year like that they're it's it's not a good locker room um the Raptors you can just see it yeah it, it there's just this this vibe that they're not all in, which again is so amazing to me because, like, I saw them. They spent the summer together down in at UCLA. I, if you went to the run at at the UCLA men's old gym, the Raptors they had almost their entire organization there. Um, you and you walk in and and they had their entire starting lineup and a couple of backups like in in the run. Um, they they're. they're Personnel was there, their trainer, like everybody was there. And I, it was one of the reasons why I bought in. I was like, oh, these guys are, these guys are getting ready. Yeah. Um, these, these guys are willing to spend the summer together. They've got the motivation from the last couple of years being, uh, being sort of kicked sideways with COVID and everything else. Like, there. That, that's why I bought in. And, um, and I really can't tell you why it went from guys who were willing to spend the entire summer together. Uh, to guys who really just don't look like they—they they look like they have—they're kind of fighting for their pecking order in the team. And again, I, I guess I understand that because this is a team that is trying to be greater than the sum of its parts by mixing and matching. And uh, you know, the, the 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 pecking order is a little bit difficult to. To define, because you've got a lot of really good players that are very similar. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be strength, and it it's looking to be a weakness because um, because guys are a little more interested in knowing exactly where they are in the pecking order than than what they can accomplish.
0: Yeah, we really thought that continuity was going to help these guys, um, and that yeah, actually the pecking order was going to be pretty well established. Like Siakam had been very vocal about wanting to be the man with this organization. And then he had a year last season where it was like, okay, that is the case. Like everything is working and operating and you're going to be able to develop Scotty Barnes underneath this. You're going to have this tough defensive identity. And so you're right. It is shocking to see this team that was supposed to be tough, not have that. Um, This team that was supposed to be having one of the best coaches in the NBA have controversies around him a team that was supposed to be elite defensively can't get stops. And there's just like horrible gaps in their defense every single night. They're getting killed half court, like whatever you want to whatever you want to say, they've been horrible defensively and then yeah, have their pecking order at times. Like you just mentioned, go like, huh? And the chemistry be off for a a foundation or a team that has prided itself on chemistry. And so now we're here. Um, It's three days Mm -hmm. later than you wrote the piece. Um, I'm going to go through the three guys that are, yeah, most likely to leave Toronto, um, let's start with Gary Trent. What's the latest that you've heard on him?
1: Well, you know it's interesting. Is I've heard the least in terms of 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 interest, and yeah. maybe because the least of the three in terms of talent, uh, I I could easily see him being moved. Um, you know, it seems like in part uh, Nick uh, isn't like really enthralled with with what. Uh, he has provided and, but I haven't heard specifically um, a, a team that is, that is targeted Gary, because uh, I think the, the, the price is the question, you know, right. everybody's everybody's looking for the least expensive way or the, 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 sh- the smallest commitment to make right now. So if you have a Landry Shamit, for example, Mm-hmm. Uh, that he he's going to be far more attractive than uh, than Gary Trent for some team that's just looking to add uh, perimeter shooting, and that's what you would be looking for if you were if you were adding uh, adding Gary. And again, like in the big picture, mm-hmm. I we're we're hearing a little. But I'm sure you guys are hearing it up there. Like we're hearing Masai could be open for business like th- there's there's some conversation going on i have not heard that um and have not heard that definitively the toronto uh, raptors have decided uh we're, we're gonna we're gonna move these pieces and we're gonna move these pieces now that they were that they're, they're going to be aggressive i was told that this road trip which i believe they're what two and three now one and three now on uh, this road trip
0: i think they're two um, and two
1: OK, two and two. Yeah. This would be the defining road trip <laughs> to decide which direction they go. Yeah. You were hoping that it was going to be a little different. Maybe it was going to be three and one or one and three or like it was They're They're kind of like still treading water right in the middle um, yeah. where the last place you want to be
0: last place you yeah. want to be is where they are right now, which is too good to lose consistently and too bad to string wins together consistently. And yeah, the trend thing is interesting because like shooting is like pitching in baseball, right. Where every team wants shooting and Gary Trent does that, but he makes a little bit too much money that it makes it an easy trade. Right. And then he has this off season coming up where he wants to get paid a, like a Brinks truck worth of money. He's not taking yeah. less. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it just, it's, it's going to be very interesting for me to see what that, Con- what like what a trade looks like for him because yeah, he has this unbelievably undeniably valuable asset that every team needs and wants like you go through the league right now. And it's like all these teams like what do they want shooting 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 um, and yet it's just you're right. There's no comfortable fit and we I, like there's been rumors about maybe the Knicks and maybe the Suns, but then you look at their teams and you go, what exactly is the trade there? That makes sense for both sides. It's not readily apparent. Fred Van Vliet is an interesting one. Because again, there you get more than just the shooting Um, there. You also have a contract that's pending, but yeah, I would think that if you're a team that's desperate to win this year, like a Clippers and like you outlined in your piece, that maybe you get a little bit more desperate for that. The question is if the Clippers are trying to move in on him, what, you know, what assets do they even have to part with at this point after the moves they had to made make for Paul George?
1: I have, I'd be honest, and I probably should have already uh, looked at uh, their, uh, the contracts that they have with guys to see what is a fit. But I know that, uh, that it wouldn't there. They don't have draft assets per per se. It would be, are you interested in some of the players that, that they have, it would be a player swap and it would be not so much looking to, um, to get bad or to, rebuild as much as um, we, we, we simply, we want to change the chemistry of our team. Mm. And we want somebody that is, is capable of playing here. The idea that you're going to just give, I mean, this, this is the other part. You know, we're talking about um, the Raptors turning tail and heading toward, well, we're going to get into the Scoot Henderson, uh, Vic, Victor Wemignana sweepstakes. And by the way, how nice would it be to have like a Scoot Henderson, like to build around up there. i for me even more so than, than when, when Ben looking at, if you're going to move a Fred Van Vliet, like to me, that that's the guy that I would have. I would have my eye on uh, when it comes to, when it comes to the Raptors. Um, But I, you know, I wish I could tell you this is exactly who the, the Clippers would give up or, that the Raptors would want in exchange, but it would not be like we're resetting, we're taking draft picks, mm-hmm. uh, we're not taking talent back. It would be, there's a lot of depth of talent. There's a lot of short-term, uh, shorter-term contracts on on the Clippers roster, and that's the kind of deal that you would be making. Or, or the other option is you're making a three-team deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're looking at, uh, teams that that do want to just are expensive and are looking to and have draft picks that are available um, that 's the other option here. I wish I could be more clear, mm-hmm. but i don 't want to just speculate on guys that could be moved or this could work, uh, especially until I hear that the Raptors have definitively decided we you know this this year 's a wash and and we're going to start over. And uh, again, I, some of that, and this has a lot to do with OG, the, the, the next guy on the list, yep. is how badly do guys want to get out? Like I, I know with Masai, um, when it came to, when he was in Denver with Carmelo, he went to Carmelo point blank and said, do you want to stay here or not? Mm-hmm. And Melo didn't answer definitively, and he started looking to make a trade the next day. So I don't know if he's asked that with OG and, but if he has, and he's gotten an answer or no answer (laughs) other than yes, I want to stay. Yeah. Then I fully expect that Masai is, is going to make him make a move. He's not, he's not a guy who try who thinks this is a really good player. I can convince him to stay. He doesn't go down that road.
0: Well, that answers that last one. Um, Rick, uh, thank you so much for making time today, man. That, uh, oof, this is going to be a really interesting week here in Toronto. Thanks for coming on.
1: It is. And I, 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 you know, for your listeners, I apologize that I don't have more definitive, like, answers, but... It's just kind of where we are with the league at large right now
0: we're used to this with because, the raptors rick uh, this is the this is the thing <laughs> we never get any slice of anything, so even the fact that there's been dysfunction um has been interesting that even that has gotten out uh Rick buker uh f s one again long time n b a writer and insider great as always um subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars, do me a favor. more of this tomorrow um and we've got James Myrtle. See you then. I